Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Last time I was up here, there weren't so many people here. <laughs> it's good to see everyone else. Hey, Tusha. <laughs> you ready to be here tomorrow? <laughs> uh, so last week, who can remember what Brian spoke about last week? Anger. Anger. And uh, it was an awesome message, and I encourage you that if you haven't seen it uh, or watched it, to please go watch it again. It was an incredible message. And, and so we're going we're gonna to continue with that. We're going to continue looking at anger. I think, uh, as Brian said last week, all of us have been impacted by anger, either uh, on the receiving end and, heaven forbid, on the giving end, right? Mm. So um, as a child, well, not as a child, as a young adult and a, as a teenager, I used to struggle with anger a whole lot. And um, I would say that was kind of how I would describe myself. But uh, over the years, and I've really worked on it, and God has given me great healing in that area. And so I've been on the receiving end, and I've been on the giving end, and it's, it's, it's not fun either side. So let's have a look. First of all, we'll start with some joyful news and have a look at what does anger do to your body. Okay. <clears throat> Number one, to your heart. It puts your heart at great risk, according to Dr. Chris Aiken. Uh, he says, in the two hours after an angry outburst, the chance of having a heart attack doubles. Isn't that nice? One study found that people with anger proneness as a personality trait were twice the risk of coronary disease as, those their, as their less angry peers. So that's what it does to your heart, all right? Let's have a look at what it does for stroke risk. If you are prone to lashing out, one study found that you were three times higher risk of having a stroke from a blood clot to the brain or bleeding within the brain during the two hours after an angry outburst. For people with aneurysm in one of the brain's arteries, there was a six time higher risk of rupturing the aneurysm following an angry outburst. This is just so joyful. Let's have a look at the, the immune system. According to this, in one study from Harvard, they found that in healthy people, simply recalling an angry experience from their past caused a six-hour dip in levels of the antibody hemoglobin A, the cells that are the first line of defense against infection. So great. All right, and then anxiety. If you're a warrior, and that's with an O, not an A, if you're a warrior, it's important to note that anxiety and anger go hand in hand. They found that anger exacerbates the generalized anxiety uh, disorder, and that people with higher uh, levels of anger um, contributed greatly to the severity of the anxiety. Let's go to depression, shall we? Okay. So anger is also linked to depression. Numerous studies have linked depression with aggression and angry outbursts, <coughs> especially in men. Uh, in depressive passive anger, where you ruminate about what has happened but don't take action, uh, that will cause greater uh, risk of um, uh, uh, depression. How about your lungs? Not a smoker? Wait. Anger, okay? If you are perpetually an angry, hostile person, according to Harvard, they measured 670 men over eight years using a hostility scale scoring method to measure anger levels and assess the changes in the men's lungs, okay? The men with the highest hostility ratings had significantly worse lung capacity which increased their risk of respiratory problems. The, theorizers re uh, the researchers theorized that an uptick in stress hormones, which are associated with feelings of anger, creates inflammation in the airways. So great. So anger can short your, uh, shorten your life, and they found uh, University of Michigan did a study over 17 years, 
and they found obviously that couples who hold in their anger have a shorter lifespan than those that actually say when they are mad. So that's just the difference between saying that you're mad and just pretending that everything is fine. Okay, have a wonderful day, everyone. <laughs> so, so that's what it does to your body. All right, so I think we can see that, that anger is, uh, it has quite severe impacts on your body. But what about relationships? What about relationships with your spouse, with your children, with your family, with your friends, with your, your co-workers? In Proverbs chapter 14, it says, People with understanding control their anger, and a hot temper shows great foolishness. Have you ever um, let your anger run wild and then afterwards you have to go patch things up? Have you ever done that? And at the end of the day, where did my stuff go? There we go. Okay, there we go. No, wrong one. We've moved on. There we go. And at the end of the day, you feel like a fool. Have you ever experienced that? So unbridled anger, anger that you just let run rampant, has great impact on the relationships around us. So with all of that, is anger a bad thing? Let's have a look. So we saw last week that Brian spoke about this verse, and it says, in your anger, do not sin. Another version says, be angry, but do not sin. Okay? Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So here we see scripture says, be angry, but don't let it get a foothold. So we're going to have a look at that, all right? When um, God was asked to describe his character, in Exodus chapter 34. How did he describe himself? It says this, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. So how does God describe himself? Does he get angry? But we see that he is slow to anger. And I think that is the key. If you have a look throughout Scripture, how many times do you see that God is angry? There are quite a few times we see that God is angry. And so the key is to have a look at what he gets angry at. In the New Testament, does Jesus ever get angry? Yes, he does. And you have a look, we see that, remember when he went into the temple, what did he do? Yeah. And I tell you, there have been so many times where I'm tempted to take that verse out of context. And I'm like, I'm being like Jesus. Arr! No, okay. So <laughs> if you read in, in Mark, it actually, uh, in Mark it says that there was a day between, he first visited the, the temple and then he went back. So it wasn't that explosive anger. It was very purposeful. This is the house of the Lord. This is a house of prayer. So we see Jesus doing that. We see Jesus getting angry or upset with the disciples when they prevent the children from coming to him. Why would he do that? Because he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. What about the time in Mark chapter 3 where there's a man with a, okay, this thing is doing funny things, okay, but I'm not going to get angry because that will totally ruin the point of this message, okay. <clears throat> but we see in Mark chapter 3, he's uh, speaking to a man that has a, a deformed hand, and there are the Pharisees there that want to catch him out, and they say, what about healing on the Sabbath? There we go. And this is what, what Jesus says, or the Mark chapter 3 says. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. So we see that Jesus gets angry. We see that. And that. But if you have a look, what is he getting angry at? Is he getting angry at what somebody's done to him? 
Or is he getting angry at the injustice in the world and what others are doing to each other? And you see, there is the great difference. Andy Stanley calls that the crusader anger, the anger that sees injustice in the world and wants to go do something about that, that righteous anger that Brian was talking about last week. Uh, I read an interesting quote uh, where Tim Keller was also talking about anger, and he quotes John Christensen, who is an early American preacher, and he says this, He that is angry without cause sins. He that is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. Isn't that interesting? So what does that mean to us? When I look at that, I read that there are times when we are supposed to be angry. I'm not a parent, but I am part of the YWAP ministry, and I'm a teacher. So I have many children in my life. And I can tell you that there are many times that I will get angry, not at the student, but at the decisions that the students are making, because I can see that they are busy ruining their lives. And because I love them, because I want what is best for them, that makes me angry. Not at them. Not at the children, but at the decisions that are made, because I want what's best for them. Loving someone, think about it, if your child or if your spouse, if you see them going down the wrong direction, away from God's will, do you just go, oh, shame? I hope not. (laughs) I hope that the love we have for them responds in not wanting that for that person. Now, is there ever a message complete without a C.S. Lewis quote? Nine. (laughs) C.S. Lewis says this. Anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. Pretty cool quote. And so we see that when we, when we have those... <laughs> I knew you're right that he's frowning. <laughs> this is the joy of me knowing your names. I can call you out from here. Hi, Ziggy! <laughs> but we, we read that, that, that anger and love are, are closely related. I, I read somewhere that um, the opposite of love is actually indifference. And so when we... When we see someone we love, when something happens to the people we love, we respond in anger. So let's have a look at that. The key there is what do you do with that anger? I read an article about two, three weeks ago in the Namibian, just as we're hitting our cold period, about a mother in Katatura who would wake up to her child, her daughter, crying because she was cold. She couldn't sleep because she was so cold. She then tried to get in between the mattress and the bed, thinking that she would be warmer there. And and I read that, and it makes me mad. It makes me very angry that in our country, in this amazing country that we have, we have people suffering like that. And I have a choice at that point. I have a choice to be mad at all the people and all the institutions and everybody that should be doing something different to be changing this country. Or I can be part of the solution. And so I believe that anger is right because that is not how God intended this world to be. But I can get mad about it. I can talk about it. I can be a keyboard warrior. You know the keyboard warriors? This is so bad, full stop, post. Okay? But what are we actually called to be? We are called to be part of the solution. We are called to respond to this injustice in the world, wherever it is. And we are called to be part of of fixing that. So I read this by Nikki Gumbel, who was talking about a lady in the 60s, Jackie Pullinger, who spent half a century working with heroin addicts, gang members, and sex workers in the walled city in in, uh, Hong Kong. And uh, he says he was listening to a talk, and she began the talk by saying, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. 
The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Let me read that again. God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. I thought that was really incredible. Because God is calling us to respond to these things, these injustices. When, when the world isn't the way it's supposed to be, God is calling us to respond with soft hearts and hard feet. In other words, getting out there and being part of the solution. That is the anger that I see Jesus displaying. That is the anger that I see God displaying. Now that anger, however, is very different to the anger that I feel when somebody who I expected to roll through the uh, stop street decides to stop and now I have to hit my brakes. You know, I was going to stop, obviously, but I have to now hit my brakes because somebody didn't do what I wanted them to do. Have you ever felt that irritation? Or when I'm on my way to school in the morning and I didn't time things so well, so I'm running late, and how dare this person drive slowly? They are ruining my life. Now, that anger is very different to the anger that we experience when there's injustice in the world. That anger is basically focused on me and my expectations not being met. My needs, my wants. Very different anger. So, so where does that come from? In James chapter 4, it says this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you, can't, what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. It's very easy for us to say that doesn't rep- uh, you know, apply to us. We're not killing anyone. But we also know that our words and our actions can cause damage. And so when we, when we read that, we see that with this kind of anger, it's not righteous anger. It's coming from the desires and the quarrels within us. Tim Keller says that we should analyze our anger and ask ourselves, what is it about this situation that is actually making me angry? So I had a chat with my sister yesterday, and she had a situation at work where somebody was in her face and, and challenging her in an inappropriate way, and she found herself getting so angry. So now, because you know I've been preparing for this message, I've got all the wisdom up here, right? <laughs> so we chatted a little bit, and I go, let me apply this. And I asked her, I said, what is it that's actually making you so angry? And we looked through it, and we realized that what's making her so angry is that it triggered uh, another friendship that she had where the person was totally out of line. And so, yes, uh, the person at work was being uh, inappropriate, but her reaction was greater than what it should have been because it was triggering something else. Have you ever had that in your life? Where you, you have a reaction, you go, okay, wait, this reaction is much bigger than it should have been. I've, I've had that quite a few times, and it also catches me off guard, and then I'm reminded of that verse in Proverbs, that, you know, the foolish verse. And so what we have to do is we have to look, what is actually causing us to be angry? And go a little bit deeper. What is it actually that we are defending? So with that situation in the mornings where I'm running late for work, I'm not mad at the person. I'm mad because I'm defending the fact that I don't want to be late, that my bad planning is not going to cause me to be late, but it's actually I'm pointing it at that person. Where is the problem? Here, with me. So if we have a look, I think many of us can see that, take a moment, just take a moment and consider When was the last time that you got angry? And I'm not talking about righteous anger. (laughs) Think about the last time that you got angry. Sometimes I get angry with people because I ask them to do something, and in my mind, I've been the brilliant communicator. I mean, I've explained everything perfectly. But you know what? There's a difference between what you say and what is heard. 
And so I'm angry at them, and they, in the meantime, don't have a clue what I meant when I said go do that. And so the problem doesn't really lie there. I need to better my communication. And so when you have a look, what is it that you are defending? What is it that is making you hold on to that anger? Does that make sense? Okay. So are we, are we getting some, um, are you being able to analyze some anger points? I see some people <laughs> putting their heads down. Okay. So now, once you identify the root cause, how do you deal with it? What do you do? That's the beautiful thing about being a believer, a follower of Jesus, is you take it to him and you, you work through it with him. That's also why it gives us a church family, to be able to talk through things with each other. Now, please hear me. I'm not asking you to be a doormat, okay? Nor am I asking that uh, if somebody wants to you know, hurt you or whatever, that you say, go ahead, okay? That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm also not saying that we shouldn't be angry when we are facing the consequences of living in a dying world waiting for Jesus. We have sin, we have, we have death, we have sickness, and those things cause great emotion in us. And we see that even Jesus had that. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the anger that hijacks us, the anger that takes us and is unreasonable. So have you ever, been, have you ever met an introvert that's angry? What do they do? They being me as well, by the way. We withdraw. We're like, hmm. And we just withdraw, and there's a cloud of moodiness hanging over you. You know that one? It's like there's, you know, thunder and lightning. But I'm not angry. I'm not, I'm not yelling at anyone, okay? That also counts, okay? Passive-aggressive, you know those ones. Fine. You know that one? Yeah. That is also still anger. It might not be that over the top, but that is still anger in our heart, and, and not the kind that moves us to being like Jesus. Jesus withdrew to pray, not to sulk. Okay. Very different. Very different. Or maybe, maybe at work, you are a joyful person, long-suffering, but the moment we get home, the moment we get home, it's a different story. I have to work at that. My mom lives with me, as I've said a thousand times. My mom lives with me, not me with her. Okay. But my mom very often gets the worst of me. She gets the, the me that when I want to come home and just relax. And, and I need to see that that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not how God calls us to be. And so those are all different facets of anger this morning that we need to look at. And again, I come back to this verse that says, What is causing quarrels and fights among us? It's what's within my heart. And all the times that I've actually looked at what's going on with me. And I can tell you, I remember the one time I bought a, a book about uh, anger. And I went to Lake Ornob and I sat there and I read the book the whole day long. Because I was not happy with where my life was. As a, as a child, I used to hit the wall, but I was also a sensible child. So I always hit it so that I didn't break my hand. That's not the way we should live life. And God has given me such freedom from that anger. It actually is, is incredible freedom. I still get angry at things, but it doesn't hijack my life. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't take over every moment of my life. I can get angry at injustice. Like I said, that story about that young girl waking up because crying because she's cold, that moves me. But I'm challenged to do something about it. And that's for all of us. So if we have a look, 
There's the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Do you remember this one in Matthew? Let's read it. Can you read it? Yeah. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Question mark. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Mathematicians are going. Okay. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. I was reading up, they said something like it's 160,000 years worth of working wages. So just like for a day is working wages. 160,000, that's one of the verses that I read. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. Glad we don't live in that society. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Could he ever pay it? Not a chance. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything um, that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Sure. I mean, I know the 77 times 7 part, but when I read that last line in verse 35, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I think when we, when we have a look at this parable, Jesus is telling it to, sh- to illustrate to us the incredible mercy and grace that each one of us have received. That when we, when we look at our own lives before we, we met God, and even now as, as believers, we sin every day. And rightfully, we should sent us to death to hell right but because of what jesus did we have eternal life and so we have been given forgiven so so much and so when we look at that and you think about what jesus has because of jesus what i have been forgiven of how difficult is it for me to forgive someone who in this this short life that we have sins against me In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Verse 32 is the important one. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I know some of the stories, and I know that in this room, there have been many things done to people that were evil and unforgivable in our eyes. And I'm not saying it's easy to forgive people, not at all. But I do know that in my own life, when I forgive people, I'm the one that gets the freedom. My sister, when she was much younger and silly, there we go, had a boyfriend who was a chop-lop. And um, he drove my mother's car and crashed the above-mentioned car uh, so very badly um, but it was, they didn't write it off, they fixed it. And so then uh, my mom and I swapped cars, and I would drive a car, and then something would rattle, and I would get so mad. 
I would get so mad at this young man. And then this would, and I remember the one day, remember? The Lord has walked a long path with me. Okay. And I got so mad, I hit the door and I went, ow. And I went, okay, this is just stupid. This young man doesn't even think of me. He doesn't, I don't even enter his thoughts. And here I am letting this young man ruin my day in anger because of something that he did. That's just stupid. And so I realized that I had to forgive him, not for his sake. He was fine, but for my own sake. And so when we, when we see this, that we be kind to each other, forgiving one another, God asks us to do that because that's what he did for us and he knows what's best for us. Anger and not forgiving others will keep you in a jail of your own making. And that's hectic. When I look at that, that is incredibly hectic. Jesus asks us to forgive others, but he doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done before. If we have a look in Philippians chapter 2, we see here it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took up the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. God, in all Jesus being on this earth, in all right, could have come in and demanded for everyone to worship him. He could have demanded and, and expected us to all bow down before him. Instead, what does he do? He comes as a human. If you ever want to see how to respond when something makes you angry, have a look at what Jesus did. Did he do anything wrong? No, he did not. He was whipped. He was beaten. He, he took the sin of the world and he died for us. I was chatting with my sister, as I said, and I said uh, something I learned from Brian and Dana many years ago, that you, when you're dealing with somebody that makes you angry, you don't lean away, you don't withdraw, you don't lean in, you don't attack, you just stand upright. And you, you have your boundaries, and you don't allow yourself to get angry in such a way that it ruins the relationship. And when I look at Jesus, he didn't withdraw, he didn't say, heck, I'm out of here. He knew what was waiting for him. Remember in the garden, he says, if you could take this cup from me, he knew what was coming. We, don't, we have the, sometimes the advantage, sometimes the disadvantage of not knowing what's coming. But Jesus knew. And we see that he didn't choose to withdraw. He didn't demand that everybody, you know, treat him as the king of kings. He stood upright and he chose. He chose to die on a cross for each one of us. If we want to know, as believers, how we should deal with anger, and I'm not talking about the righteous anger. I'm talking about the anger that, that takes the joy out of life. We need to have a look at how Jesus dealt with it. And as believers, if you have asked Jesus into your life, we have the privilege, but also the obligation of forgiving those around us. And if you can do that, and please hear me, I'm not saying it's easy. Not at all. But if you can do that, that is where we will find joy. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning that you have given us. Lord, I thank you for this church family, and I, I thank you that, that you do give us emotions and that we feel um, deep and great emotions, but there's nothing uh, about us that surprises you. Lord, I thank you that this morning that, um, that you teach us uh, how to go about anger, Lord, and, and, and how um, in your word it shows so clearly that we need to love and forgive, um, stand upright, but still... Uh, love those as, as you have loved them. 
Lord, I thank you for this church family, and I, I know that there are many challenges that, that each one of us face. Lord, I thank you that you are with each person in this church family, Lord, and, and all the difficult situations and all the things um, that come our way, that you are the one that gives us the tools and the freedom to go through that in such a way that it doesn't hurt us uh, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and physically. Lord, I thank you that you care about each part of our lives, each and every single aspect of our lives. And Lord, we commit this morning to you, and, and I thank you for, for a church family that, that, um, that wants to walk the way that you call us to walk. Lord, I pray that, um, as was said, that you'll give us soft hearts and hard feet, that we will be um, the solution to, to, or that we will be part of the solution that you call us to be in this world, whether it's by sharing you or practically helping. Father, I thank you that you are, are the one that calls us and enables us. So Lord, we give you this morning and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.